Hello, and thanks for joining us. We hope you are blessed, encouraged, and challenged by today's message. Welcome to the river. We are continuing our series mixtape, and today I'm preaching a message. It goes all the way back to 2019. Uh, from a series called In His Presence, and it was a great series. This message is called Learning to Lean. Man, we got to learn to lean into Jesus, don't we? I mean, as we go through difficulties and challenges, we've got to learn to do that. And so now, this morning, I'm going to do something that I really hate when preachers do this. Uh, full disclosure, before I get started, uh, I have a very lengthy intro and then a very short message. Okay, so I want to say that to you because uh, after I preach for 10 minutes and I start on one of five points, I don't want you to start letting your heart skip a beat and you start getting concerned that this thing's going to drag on. I promise you I'm going to be brief this morning, but you hang with me as we kind of set some groundwork here. Do you know that the presence of Jesus changes everything? Changes everything. I mean, an encounter with Jesus will change you forever and ever. Nothing like it. Paul says this in the Philippians uh, chapter 3, verse 8. He says, Yet indeed I count all things lost for the excellence of what? Of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. He's saying, I count everything as secondary, as junk, compared to an encounter with God. When I have that moment with him, when I have that impactful interaction with God, it changes everything. He says this, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, I count those things as rubbish that I may gain Christ and... I love this part, and be found in him. Oh, my goodness, when I discover him, I discover me. I find all the missing pieces of my life. I find everything that is lacking in Jesus Christ. Now, when we talk about the presence of Jesus, we need to understand the difference between the constant presence of God and then the concentrated presence of God. Obviously, everywhere you go, you know, Psalmist said, if I go to the deepest depths, you are there. If I go to the highest heights, you're there. There's no place that I can go that I'm not in your presence somewhere, right? I mean, so God's everywhere, and he's always around. But when we in the Pentecostal circle talk about the presence of God, we're not really talking about the uh, omnipresence of God where he's everywhere. We're talking about that concentrated presence of Jesus that I have been in his presence, I have felt him move, I have felt him at work, I like that presence, don't you? I like to feel God. I like to walk out of service and say, man, I felt God was in the place. Now, I want to say this as well. We can never let emotions drive our spiritual walk. We can't let emotions drive our decision making. We can't let that be the metric or the gauge for how spiritual we are in this life. But I want to say also to you this morning that we are created to be emotional beings, right? I mean, God put those emotions, they put those senses inside of us. We're full of emotions, and God created us in his image. And feelings and emotions are part of the beautiful image that God has created in us. And so it's part of our journey. It's part of our walk. It's what gives us empathy and sympathy, how many of you need some sympathy from time to time? Yes. We, 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 uh, it helps us walk along someone when they're in need and helps us get to connect with them in a real and deep way. Without mo emotions, none of that stuff is possible. And so that's part of it. But the challenge for us is to bring our emotions under the authority of Christ and under his word. When we're in the presence of God, church, we need to feel something. 
I said, when we're in the presence of God, we need to feel something. We need to allow those feelings to be expressed in a way that illustrates our love for God. And I think here's the key. Our emotions have to flow from our spirituality. And we not let ourselves get confused and think that our spirituality is flowing out of our emotions, right? I think it's very easy for us to judge a book, to, not, to try not to judge a book by its cover. I mean, we look at some people and we think, well, they're not very emotional. They're not very engaged. They're not very, you know, I think that people who feel deep often don't always express big. Right? But regardless of whether you're an introvert, a non-expressive person, or an extrovert and a very expressive person, we need to feel the Lord, and that needs to be expressed in some way. I don't believe that what happens on the inside of you ain't going to have some kind of manifestation on the outside of you. It's going to show up at some level somewhere. Amen? So here's what I'm getting to. I just don't want us to be too guarded. I don't want us to be afraid to express our love for God. When it's worship time, let's worship in this place. When it's time to go after Jesus, let's go after Jesus with all our hearts because I believe that God wants to do something in this room. I think he wants to do something in the lives of his people, and I'm just saying it requires some interaction on our part. There is no encounter with God without our flesh being involved at some level. Amen. Barnes says it this way. I think I've got it on the screen for you. He says, when God has a new thing of a spiritual nature to bring into the experience of man, he begins with the senses. He takes man on the grounds on which he finds him and leads him through the senses to the higher things of reason, conscience, and communion with God. In other words, let me wrap it up like this. You feel him before you know him. And once you sense him and you feel him, you'll start to know him in new and fresh ways. So let's experience Jesus in some new ways in this place. Let's go after him together. Amen? Can we do that? This morning, I want to preach to you the message, Learning to Lean. Will you help me pray this morning? Father, thank you for the people in this room. Thank you that we have come together again on Sunday morning, and we have great expectation for what you're going to do in this place today. Lord, I pray that you would just open our hearts and minds to you, touch us, challenge us, change us, let us have an encounter that marks us forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. About learning to lean on God, learning to lean into God, learning to rely on him for our strength and security. I just think that in his presence there is power and an experience for you that will always change your life. I want to go to the story in Genesis chapter 32 of Jacob and Esau, they're about to meet. And if you don't know the story of Jacob and Esau, they're twins. Uh, Jacob was born after, so he's the second son. And over the course of their life, Jacob is this kind of manipulative, conniving, opportunist type of guy. And he takes advantage of Esau, and Esau allows himself to be taken advantage of, really it's, it's his fault too, but he takes his birthright, he takes his blessing from him, and, and years have passed now, and Jacob and Esau, they've gone their separate ways, but now they're on a collision course for one another. They're about to meet. They're about to run into each other again. Well, Jacob, he's concerned because he has done nothing but take advantage of his brother. He has robbed him. He has stolen from him. He has he really not done well by him, and so he's just sure that Esau, when he meets him, he is going to kill him and take him out. And so this is where we are in our story here in verse 32. And so he's getting ready to meet Esau the night before. And it says this in, in verse 22. And he arose that night and took two wives, his two female servants, his 11 sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. 
He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. So he's separating himself. He knows that he's in trouble. He doesn't want his wife and children to be uh, murdered as well because that's what he's sure is going to happen. So he sends them on ahead of him, and he finds himself alone. He's in an alone place where he needs God to do something big in his life. That word Jabuk means pouring out. So this place is a place of outpouring. It is a place of experience. It is a place where Jacob is setting himself up to have an encounter with God. It says they crossed over the ford. Then in verse 23, it says he took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. I want to say to you today that experiencing Jesus and finding his presence always begins with surrender. Always. A pouring out moment by us results in a pouring out moment by God. And so when we pour ourselves out before the Lord, the Lord pours himself out before us. And when he's pouring out, he's pouring in to us. And that's how we get refreshed. That's how we get renewed. That's how we become encouraged. Jacob is literally taking everything that means something to him, and he is sending it away. He is pouring it out, and he is letting go of those things that are important. And he's letting go of those things that are important for the purpose of finding the presence of God and getting answers for his situation. He sends his family. He sends his herds. He's letting go of everything that is important for him so that he can find the presence of God in his life and get some direction for his life. We are never going to experience the presence of God while trying to maintain control of everything in our lives. We will never be able to fully experience the presence of God the way he wants as long as we're trying to maintain control of everything in our life. The fact is, his presence requires our surrender. And I can't say that enough, and I can't say that in a number in enough ways for us to get that, that, that his presence is going to require me to let go and to let him have his way. Verse 24, we find something else. It not only requires surrender, but verse 24 says, then Jacob was left alone. It requires surrender, and it also requires solitude. That's my ability to shut out the world and shut myself in with God. So Jacob needs two ingredients here to have a moment with God, and he, he, he kind of dials them in and figures them out, and he understands I've got to get rid of all this distraction. I've got to get rid of all these things that I've been holding on to. I've got to let go of all that stuff, and then I've got to just get by myself so that I can get my mind right, I can get in focus with the Lord, and I can allow God to just show up in this situation and do something for me. It's that ability to find a place where I'm alone in his presence. And I love this because not only does it speak of just God being God and God just doing what God does, but it also speaks of him being a personal God. That he's not just God to the crowd. He's not just God to the church, but he is my God. And he's willing to meet just with me in these moments that I need him. At the place of surrender and solitude, we are always positioned to encounter God. And so here we go. Take a deep breath. I'm going to give you five quick points this morning. Quick. Then Jacob was left alone, verse 24, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Notice this in, verse, in the verse. It says man, and that word man is capitalized. It's speaking of deity. It's speaking of God, right? It's speaking of, uh, of some divine uh, moment here. I love John 1.14. It says, and the word became flesh. The word became a man, right? And he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
You might underline that in your Bible. He is full of grace and truth this morning. Jesus is and has always been on a mission to find you. Jacob's life was a life of struggle. It was a life of turmoil. But that day, after surrender and separation from the stuff that had been the source of his striving, and then getting in a place where God could speak and God could move in his life, the man shows up, and he shows up full of grace and truth right at the right time, right in the right moment, right when I needed you most, Jesus, you showed up in my life. I don't know about you, but I've had many times where I didn't know if I could go another moment and then all of a sudden, Jesus shows up in that moment, and I'm thinking, oh, if it hadn't been for grace, if it hadn't been for the way, the truth, and the life showing up right here in this minute, I would be in trouble. But you've came, and you've shown up. He's always on a mission this morning to find you. He knows where you're at. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're facing, and he loves you enough to come and rescue you out of it. Just hang on to him this morning. Stay close to him and trust him in the process. He's on a mission to have an encounter with you, and he's bringing truth and grace with him along the way. The point is this, leaning on God means a showdown with, a fle- with my flesh in his presence. There's always this collision moment when I come into the presence of God where I have to let my flesh come under the authority of Christ so that God's presence can move in on the scene of my situation. Do you know that our unsanctified flesh stands in the way of everything God's trying to do in our lives? My humanity is not the problem. You need to hear this, church. It's just the parts that haven't been surrendered to God that are the problem. If flesh was a problem, Jesus could not have come in the flesh and redeemed it in all of its forms. He is holy and righteous and perfect in all of his ways, and so he took on flesh. Flesh is not the problem. Unsanctified flesh unsubmitted flesh, flesh that's not living under the authority of Christ is the problem and will always be our problem. Me in my own way. I bring that flesh under the authority of Christ before I could ever learn to lean on God. And when I learn that process, God, I may fail. I may be weak. I may have messed up. I may have made mistakes, but I'm bringing all of that stuff to you right now, and I'm asking you to put it under the blood of Jesus. I'm asking you to bring me into your presence. I'm asking you to make the wrong things right in my life, that everywhere I'm weak, Lord, please fix it and straighten it up and cover it with your goodness. My flesh seeks self-sufficiency, but God-dependency is the only hope I have today. If I'm going to learn to lean on God, my life must come under his authority and it must be redeemed by the grace of God. Verse 25, now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Notice at the beginning of the verse, it says when he saw that he did not prevail against him. It's talking about God. When God saw that he himself was not prevailing against Jacob, in other words, he sees Jacob and he's wrestling with Jacob and Jacob's got tenacity, Jacob's got determination, Jacob is not a quitter. He's not just going to walk away and just say, oh, okay, whatever. No, no, no. When God saw that, it says this. He says it touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint. The second point, leaning on God requires that I live in his strength and not my own. The moment Jacob's hip is out of joint, what happens? He falls on Jesus. You can't stand up with your hip out of joint. You gotta lean on somebody. You gotta have a little help in the process. And so God depletes Jacob 
of all of his own strength so that he can learn to lean on God's strength. It represents, that, that, that hip represents the, the seat of a man's strength. It represents our, our own ability to try to, to work everything out, to do it on our own, to, to make things happen in our lives. And this is what I know to be true about God is that he will deplete us of every ounce of strength in our lives so that we will learn to lean on him. We got some fighters in this room. Determined people, right? People that say, I can do it. I'll figure it out. I'm going to gut this thing out. I don't need no help. I can handle it. And God will say, I'm going to let you wear yourself slap out until you cannot do anything but just fall on my grace. And then you'll find what real strength looks like. You'll discover what's available to you. Why do we put ourselves through all of that turmoil, all of that struggle, all of that, that, that just striving to finally come to the realization that it wasn't enough anyway? Jacob's no longer able to rely on his own strength, but now he's got to rely on God's strength to hold him up and sustain him. And that's always God's desire. And it's always God's end game in our lives. God will just allow us to deplete ourselves completely of strength in order to get us to rely on him. And so here's a little nugget to take with you. Learn to give in before you give out. Amen. Boy, I wish I could just learn to give in before I give out completely. Don't you? Man, I, I just, we could probably expedite a lot of troubles in our lives, if we wouldn't wait till we are wrung out before we turn to the Lord. If we just get with him on the front side of these things. Now, last week I was sweating bad. You guys brought me a hanky because it was bothering you. But I am a real preacher. I've got hankies myself. Verse 26. And he, somebody said, praise God. We don't, we, we don't want to see that, Pastor. Wipe that sweat off your face. Oh, that's funny. And he said, verse 26, he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. God, Jesus, this is probably what we call a Christophany in Scripture where it's actually Jesus in the Old Testament. I, I think that's an incredible thing. But Jesus is like, let me go. <laughs> let go. And he says, I'm not letting you go. I have gone through too much to let you go until I get something from this process. Oh, my goodness. Isn't that good to think that, man, I have come a long ways. And I, you know what? I'm not leaving this thing empty-handed. I'm not walking away from this thing the same way that I came into it. I'm not walking away from this thing depleted from the way I came in. I am walking from this thing better than I was when I came. I believe that's possible for every one of us going through a trial, a situation, a difficult. There's better for you on the other side of this problem. Amen. He said, I'm not letting you go till you bless me. And so here's the third point. Leaning on God means we believe there is a promise to be obtained. There is something to be grasped and gotten. Jacob says, I'm not letting you go until I get the promise. Why do we hold on to God? Why do we hold on? Why, why are we here? Why are we as Christians here in this place? It's because we know he is the door to the promise, right? That he is the key to this life and the next life. We're leaning on God all the way to heaven. 
I'm leaning on God from promise to promise in this life, through every season, through every moment. Holding on to him because when I hold on to him, I'm holding on to everything. And I'm holding on to the very promise himself. There is a promise to be obtained. You got a promise that's in front of you this morning. Don't let go of it. You keep moving forward. You stay encouraged. You keep moving in the grace of God and you will find your promise. Verse 27, so he said to them, what is your name? I want you to bless me. His response, what's your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name's no longer going to be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Fourth point is this. Learning to lean on God means I embrace a new identity with him. What are we leaning on? What is really our God this morning? Think about it. We can easily identify the God in our life, the gods in our life by what we turn to first in time of desperation and need in times of success and blessing. What are we turning to first? He says, I'm going to give you a new name. I'm going to give you a new identity. I'm setting you on a different path. I know what you came from, but I'm telling you I also know where you're going, and I'm going to send you in that new identity. And that new name is indicative of a new nature, a new path, a new direction, a new promise. Israel literally means here a prince of God, a prince with God, a prince in God. Jacob has found a new identity centered around the person of God. When the reality of who I am meets the reality of who he is, I cannot help but be changed. Transformation happens every time. An encounter with God changes everything. Verse 29. Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. Why is it that you ask about my name? Why, why are you asking about my name? You know who I am. You know you've been in the presence of God. And the last point I want to make is this. Leaning on God means I don't discredit my experience with him. Tell me your name. You know who he is. When you've had an experience with God, don't let your flesh or anyone else convince you otherwise. Amen. It's easy for the enemy to come in and rob what God has done in your life. It happened. I will tell you, it happens all the time. We come into church. We have a moment with God. God speaks to us, gives us direction in our lives. We know God spoke to us. We know what it's like to be in the presence of God. We know who he is. And then we go out and we let our minds start working on us. We let outside forces start working on us. And before long, we have surrendered what God has planted in our lives. Don't do it. Don't you discredit. Don't let the enemy discredit. Don't you yourself discredit any experience that you have with him. There comes a moment really on, on where we ought to, every one of us, when we have an experience in the altar, we ought to stop for a minute. We ought to set ourselves apart from everybody, and we ought to just in our minds say, this is what God has done. This is what God has said. I am solidifying it in my spirit, and I am not going to let the enemy rob me of it. I'm not letting it be taken away from me. Don't let someone talk you out of an experience with God. Don't let someone minimize what God has done in your life. A person with an experience is never subject to a person with an argument. Amen. It's real. It's real this morning. And it's an experience that is more powerful than any opinion or any argument. Hold on to the moments you have with God and make them a permanent part of who you are. Every moment should mark us. I think that's why journals are important. 
I think that's why it's important to write notes in your Bible. I think it's important to have, you know, whatever your means, tokens. I'm a token guy. I've got all kinds of little tokens in my office. They remind me of places that God's done something in my life. And I go there. And I stay there and I remember those. I think we need places that help us remember, things that help us remember, things that solidify the experience in our life. Jacob's going to walk with a limp. That's going to be his token. He's taken away from the, He's always going to walk differently now because he's been in the presence of God. You're going to walk differently when you've been in the presence of, the G, of Jesus. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask the guys to come begin to play. We're going to pray for our students here in a minute. And... Uh, I think it's important that uh, we just understand here this morning that we are, we are living a life of leaning on the Lord in every way. We don't do anything without Him. We don't do anything apart from Him. That our entire lives are consumed on the foundation of Christ Jesus, established on the foundation of Christ Jesus. And so as we pray for our students to start this school year, we are covering them with the blood of Jesus, our teachers, our schools. We are covering them with prayer, and we are saying that we are leaning into God this morning. We are trusting in the Lord today. We are relying on him completely in every way, shape, and form.